All right. Um, so I have a question before we start. Think about different religions of the world. You know, Judaism has kosher laws. Islam has halal. Uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, different ones have restrictions on eating meat. Does Christianity have any rules about eating? New Testament Christianity? No. No. Okay. Uh, like, like, eat whatever you want to as long as you give thanks, right? That's not exactly a rule. It's kind of an anti-rule almost, right? Well, there, there is, at least with one particular meal, some instructions about that. So, a preview of what we're going to talk about. Obviously, we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper today. Um, so, we'll be, we'll be reading out of 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, 17 through 34. Um, Corinth, it was a very prosperous city, a commercial city. It was a very Romanized city um, with the culture and society and the government and everything. It was very much Roman. The, the population was made up mainly of three kinds of people. You had uh, freedmen, they called it, freed slaves. Uh, you had Roman army veterans, and then you had urban tradespeople and laborers. Um, a lot of them that had immigrated from the east, like Jews. Uh, so you had different classes of people, and the city was made up this way, so also the church was made up of a lot of variety of people, different classes, different uh, economic backgrounds. So voluntarily associating with people of a different class was like almost unheard of. And that's easy to imagine, right? Because think about today. Do, do we really associate with people that are of a different social standing than we, we are? Now, you know, if you think about the church, you might think, well, all kinds of people come to church and we're in the building with them. But, but like really, think about not just yourself, but everybody you know at work. Like does, your, does the CEO of your company uh, generally go hang out two or three nights a week with the people at the bottom of the ladder. You know, like, you just, you kind of hang out with people that are like you, right? Um, and in Corinth, in, in Paul's day, this would have been even more so. Like, you, you just didn't, you just didn't mix with people of different social standing. <clears throat> so the majority of the church uh, was from the lower classes, uh, there were a few influential members that come from higher classes that would have had more money. They would, that would have had enough wealth to own a home. That would have been a sign of affluence back then and would have had the, the money and the standing to be able to host a meal for believers. <clears throat> and this difference in classes is sort of where we have the, the problem that Paul's going to talk about and we're going to read about today in regard to the Lord's Supper. So if you want to uh, read along for the first few verses here, starting in verse 17, Paul said, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Uh, I'll mention, he says, I'll praise you not. He started this chapter off earlier. We are not going to go read it. He says, Now I praise you, brethren, because he had something to praise him for. And now halfway down, He's like, oh, by the way, this thing that I'm about to tell you, I'm not praising you for this. Don't get it confused. I'm, I praise you not. You come together 
not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. I find that so interesting, the way he worded that. He said, I've heard the report, there's divisions among you, and I partly believe it. It's like, think about it. Do you think he believed it or not? I think he believed it. He said, I partly believe it. It's like he was giving them an opportunity like to, you know, to save face or not, not just grind them into the ground, even though he's really, he gets onto them pretty strongly here and through the whole book. Um, but it's not the first time that he mentioned divisions. He started the whole chapter off, the whole book, talking about divisions. Um, you don't have to turn, but back in chapter 1, he's in you know, verse 10 and 11, he said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak all the same, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Okay, so he had already mentioned, I got reports, okay? Different people, it's plural. You know, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, anything can be established. He, he knows that there's divisions. Okay, so back to, back to chapter 11. I hear that there's divisions. I partly believe it. Verse 19, For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. This isn't our topic, but I find this interesting too. Right? He said, there must be heresies so that those that are approved, those that are doing the right thing, will be apparent. You'll, it'll be obvious. Uh, right? It reminded me of Matthew 18, 7. Jesus said, Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come. He said, but offenses have to come. But woe to the man by whom the offense comes. So he said it's necessary, but that doesn't excuse the person by whom it comes. Um, so verse 19, there must be heresies among you to show those that are approved among you. Verse 20, when you come together, therefore, in one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone takes before others his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? Again, I praise you not. Okay, so we see, as in much of the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is correcting some things. He's really getting on to them. We have to think of the Lord's Supper here, this meal that they were having in Corinth. It wasn't... Don't think of it as a ceremony. It wasn't uh, like we might do it here at Stuart Heights. You know, uh, there's a special time set apart. This was a meal. Uh, this, this was like a, a potluck of the church. They would get together regularly. And remember I talked about it was a very Romanized city. Everything was Roman culture and everything. Uh, I did a little extracurricular research on Roman feasts and banquets because uh, a lot of the things I read said it was this is like a Christianized version of, uh, what do they call it, guild suppers they had. But anyway, Roman feast, oh my goodness, it was the wealthy, and um, they would put on feast. You heard about, you know, like people would lay down and eat in that time. Well, the Romans at the feast, they, they would lay down. That might be where this comes from because they could stuff more food in that way without feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> They would lay like often, often you know, like on their side, but sometimes on their stomach, so it would distribute their weight more evenly. 
Um, between courses, you know what they'd do? They'd go get rid of the first course so they'd have room for more because they just it was like hedonism. It was like we if we're gonna gorge on it, we're gonna gorge on it. This is, you know, uh, if they're gonna drink, they're really gonna drink. Okay, um, so I'm not. I don't know that all of that was was into this church meal, but there were influences from Roman society. Okay, and this was a a meal with the church. It wasn't uh, like a cracker and a you know quarter ounce of juice. So what was it that, that Paul had the problem with here, right? He said, in eating, everyone takes before others his own supper. One is hungry and another is drunken. The, the wealthy people would, would come in. Like I said, it was more like a potluck. The wealthy people would have a lot of food to bring. And they would bring it. And they would sit down with their family, maybe some close friends, and they would share their food. Some more people would come in sit in another part of the room maybe. Uh, they wouldn't have so much or wouldn't have anything. There would be tradespeople that were out working trying to get the job done for the day they had to, they had to finish before they could leave work. And they would come in later after, after everything had started and they wouldn't have anything to eat. And so the wealthy people, it was obvious who was wealthy, right? The people that had a lot of food and went ahead and ate without everybody. It was obvious who was poor, right? Who didn't have much, who had to really work for a living compared to the others. Um, you know, they, they were in one area, they didn't have food. So wealthy, poor, different classes, it was divided up, it was separated. So it really, the way, the way the church was conducting the Lord's Supper really pointed out these differences, okay? Um, an interesting point I read somebody say the difference in what the Corinthians thought they were doing and what they were actually doing is a question of who owns the meal because look at verse 20 it says when you come together into one place it's not to eat the Lord's Supper whose supper is it the Lord's well he says when you're coming together this way it's not to eat the Lord's Supper because look at verse 21 what does he say for in eating everyone takes before others his own supper so uh, the Lord didn't, wasn't in charge of this. It wasn't his supper. You made it yours, not his. So why does it matter uh, if there are socioeconomic disparities? If, why does it matter that uh, it shows up who's in what class and that there's differences and, and we're not one? Um, Jesus, you know, Paul recites uh, a later Jesus' instructions about the Lord's Supper, right? Um, in verse 24, he, he says that the bread is his body. What else do you know from reading Scripture for however many years you've been reading it and hearing it? What, is, what else is referred to as the body of Christ? The church, right? We are the body of Christ. Uh, I didn't list out probably a fourth of the Scriptures that I, I found, but I just want to read you a sample of some things that the Bible says about the church being the body of Christ. Romans 12, 4 and 5. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ. And every one members one of another. Uh, 1 Corinthians ten seventeen. For we, being many, are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. 1 Corinthians 12, this is all around 1 Corinthians 11 here, by the way, where we're, we're discussing. 
Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Ephesians 1, all of Ephesians, it, all through the book talks about it, but in Ephesians 1, it says, And gave them up to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Colossians 1, and he is the head of the body, the church. Uh, again, Colossians 1, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for the body's sake, which is the church. Okay, and it goes on and on. So uh, when, Paul, when Paul recites Jesus' teaching in the next verses we're going to read here, 23 through 26, Jesus breaks the bread and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. So let's read these verses, verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. By the way, uh, another side note here. He said, We had given thanks. I didn't know this. I should have, but I wasn't raised in a, I was raised in a Baptist church, not in a Catholic or some other denomination that refer, refers to this as the Eucharist. But uh, some of you might have been or you've heard the word, right? Eucharist. Do you know what Eucharist means? It means giving thanks. And this is where it comes from. When he had given thanks, Eucharist just means to, to show gratitude. Uh, so when he had given thanks, he said, Take heed, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also, he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup in the new is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. So when Jesus took the bread, uh, in verses 23 and 24, you can look back there. How many pieces of bread do you think he was holding? One? Yeah. It was one. In the English, it might not be perfectly obvious because the way we use the word bread, you know, we don't say many breads. We would say much bread, right? Because it's not something that we usually count. We don't say how many breads. But this is singular. It was, it was one loaf of bread. He said, this is my body. And the cup, that's a little more obvious because of the way we use cup and cups, you know, singular plural in English. In verse 25, when he said he took the cup, one cup, right? It wasn't, that not everybody had their own. It was one cup. And I'm, by the way, I'm not, I'm not mentioning that because of trying to talk about how we ought to take it today. That's a different subject. We could talk about that, but that's not the point of this. The point is, he's, we are his body, and this was a picture. He said, this is my body which is broken for you, but then he also told us all through the New Testament that we are his body. Okay, so it was one bread that was his body, one cup. But he, he said you, and um, if you're reading a King James, it, it can be obvious. Uh, any other modern English, in modern English we don't, have different words for singular and plural for you, right? That, that's, we say, in the South we do. I think it's much more, a much more educated kind of thing to include the plural so people know what you're talking about. Use guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, the, 
okay, another grammar aside, sorry. Noah's taken English as a second language. We, I've been uh, looking at some of his college grammar stuff, so I got grammar on my mind now, but why, why do we say you are going if you're talking to one person? Right, everything else, he is, you know, Matt is. But if I look at Matt and say you, I don't say you is. If I'm speaking proper English, I say you are. Why do I say are? That's supposed to be for plural things, right? Because you, when it was, when English language was at its height and, and you know, it was plural, right? You was plural. Thee and thou was singular. You and ye are plural. Anyway, so when it says you here, it, it's plural in verses 23, 24, 25. This is my body which is broken for you, for all of you, right? And as often as this do ye, as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. So one bread, one cup, it's, it's to everybody, right? It's plural. You do show the Lord's death till he come. Um, somebody named David Steinbrenner, who uh, I referred to some of his material, I have a quote from him. He said, if the Lord's death with his one body was for all and was signified in the one loaf of bread and one cup, then for Paul it is impossible that the meal in quality or quantity would be different for one part of the whole versus another. Okay? If, if the Lord's body was broken for us all, why should the meal in remembrance of his body being broken for us be different for some than for another? Right? He goes on to say, the meal is more than a metaphor or a symbol of unity. Instead, um, he said it starts to actualize the unity and bond of the community in and as Christ's sacrificial self-giving body. In other words, it's not just a symbol of our unity. Guess what? It actually serves to help unify us, right? It, when you come together with a meal and you eat it together and you share it together equally, you know, you go to someone's house, you have good conversation, uh, it, it brings you closer together, right? But the way they were taking it didn't do that. It, it was, it was uh, you have yours, I have mine, good luck. And it didn't bring them closer together at all. In, in 1 Corinthians 10, which is, of course, the chapter right before where we're studying, as he was leading up to it, verses 16 and 17, he said, The cup of blessing which we bless... Is it not the communion? Communion means community things, things that are common. That's the root word it comes from. You've heard maybe the Greek word koinonia. It's the same word, fellowship, sharing. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion or sharing or fellowship of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. We see the problem. We, we see what the problem is. We also know the warnings about it, right? How many of you, how many of you were raised or grew up in an independent fundamental Baptist church? Anybody? Uh, at least a couple. Um, I was. And maybe other denominations, other areas, uh, taught the same thing. I know as I was growing up on through you know very recently whenever I was at a church and they took the Lord's Supper they would read 1 Corinthians 11 at least the warnings right and, and what did you learn 
Darla, you, you were raised in that kind of church. What, what was the general sense? What were they warning you about? You're not worthy to take it. Well, but if you're not worthy, and if you're not worthy, you better watch out, right? Because many are sick and many have died because they weren't worthy to take it. Right, you better do a quick confessional, you know. We're not Catholic, we don't have a pope to go to, but, you know, real quick, you know, I know God's forgiven all your sin and past, present, and future, but we better, we better confess it anyway because, you know, this, is, this was my feeling growing up, and I imagine that a lot of you shared that. Um, and like I said, I, it wasn't just 20, 30, however many years ago. Uh, that I heard this, I, I hear it today. I want, if, if you felt that way, and if you, especially if you still feel that way, I hope to set you free this morning from all that. Uh, let's read the warning in verse 27. He said, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now he says, wherefore, which means he's talking about the things preceding this, right? What did he just talk about? The, the differences in how they ate, right? Making it apparent, the different social classes and different uh, economic status, right? That's what he just got through talking about. And he says, wherefore, because of those things that I just talked about, then he, he goes on with the warning, right? Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink the, the cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Okay, some other grammar nerds out there. What part of speech is unworthily? An adverb. An adverb. Now, your version might have it different. Your version might say in an unworthy manner, which is, as I've learned in the last couple months, an adverb phrase. Um, it's not an adjective, which means it's not talking about somebody. It's not talking about you. It's talking about how you take it. Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup unworthily. Um, I expected going into the study in this lesson to, to look for different commentaries, commentators, and pick through them and try to find some that supported what I believed the Bible to say. I was very pleasantly surprised that almost everybody I looked up already viewed it this way. I'm like, how can, how can almost everybody in Christianity that's writing on this view it like I've just discovered? And, and I grew up, nobody I was around ever taught it this way. So um, let me read some things that different commentaries I read. This was somebody, uh, Joanna Herriter in 2019. In contemporary Western culture that tends to fixate on individual sin, the admonition to avoid eating the meal in an unworthy manner brings to mind numerous personal bad actions that could render one unworthy. Paul has just explained, however, exactly what eating in an unworthy manner looks like. The wealthy eat their fill and get drunk, while the poor among them remain hungry. The way to eat the meal in a worthy manner is to assure that the meal is inclusive and egalitarian. In other words, everybody's included. Okay? Uh, Albert Barnes, back in the 1800s, who I've referred to before, he, he talks about the word unworthily, what we just said. Perhaps there's no expression in the Bible that has given more trouble to, to weak and feeble Christians than this. It is certain 
that there is no one that has operated to deter so many from the communion. Right, what Darla said, you might as well not take it. Or that is so often made use of as an excuse for not making a profession of religion. The excuse is, I am unworthy to partake of this holy ordinance. I shall only expose myself to condemnation. I must therefore wait until I become more worthy and better prepared to celebrate it. It is important, therefore, that there should be a correct understanding of this passage. Most persons interpret it as if it were unworthy and not unworthily, and seem to suppose that it refers to their personal qualifications, to their unfitness to partake of it, rather than to the manner in which it is done. It is to be remembered, therefore, that the word used here is an adverb and not an adjective, and has reference to the manner of observing the ordinance. It refers to the manner of observing it and not to their personal qualifications or fitness. It's true that in ourselves we are all unworthy of an approach to the table of the Lord, unworthy to be regarded as his followers, unworthy of a title to everlasting life. But it does not follow that we may not partake of this ordinance in a worthy, that is, a proper manner, with a deep sense of our sinfulness, our need of a Savior, and with some just views of the Lord Jesus as our Redeemer. Whatever may be of our conscious, consciousness of personal unworthiness and unfitness, and that consciousness cannot be too deep, yet we may have such love to Christ, such a desire to be saved by Him, and such a sense of His worthiness as to make it proper for us to approach and partake of this ordinance. The term unworthily means properly in an unworthy or improper manner. Okay. So that was a long quote. Thanks for bearing with me. But he said it so well. It's not whether you are worthy to take it. You are not worthy to take it. I'm not worthy to take it. Nobody that's taking it is worthy. We were not worthy to be saved, to be covered by his blood. We should have a good sense of that when we take it. We should understand that. We should know that we're not worthy. We know that we're sinners. We know that we've received such great mercy from God. He's given us such grace and we should be so thankful and we know that he died for all and we should include all and we should wait on each other and have a time of remembrance and we should take it in a worthy manner. So if this has ever troubled you and it's, if it might still trouble you that you worry when, when they pass the bread and the cup whether you should or shouldn't take it or you're nervous because you do have a respect for the Bible and it gives a warning about it I hope you can remember this it's not about you being worthy do you think that it would be could you say that it would be impossible for us to do it in an, un, in, in an unworthy manner because of the way that we take it now it's not a community it's not a meal mm -hmm. it's more so we open it to everybody if they profess faith in Jesus. Yeah, that's right. And, and yeah, I want to get to that question, but you reminded me. Uh, I did. I, I know Chris mentions David Guzik. I don't read or listen to him much, but uh, I thought I would look over his stuff. He had a point that I'd never thought of, and I have to consider it. it why is it just believers? It, there's, no, there's no requirement that you be a believer necessarily here. If you're taking it in a worthy manner to, to reflect on Jesus' blood being shed for you, 
But is it possible that today we could take it in an unworthy manner? Well, let's, I mean, let's talk about that. Doug? I was raised Catholic, and of course we did things different. And I used to be on altar boys, so I was all at the, all the front helping the priest. So when you see people come, uh, you kind of knew what they were doing the night before. <laughs> because in, in Catholicism, you have the chassis and you give them, you, he places the bread on their tongues, and it's like, well, a little bit of alcohol here, you know? And things like that would make me think, why are you coming here? I think it was more for the ritual, ritual part of it mm -hmm. than the heart of it. Yeah. And that was always something that never really settled right with me, the way we did things. But it was the ritualistic way of doing it. Mm -hmm. They were still performing the Lord's Supper, but you know, having communion. But there wasn't no heart there. Yeah, he now, said... Some of them did. Mm -hmm. you, you knew they'd come because they really believed. You kind of like what you're saying. They really did have a reverence for God, but not the understanding why. Right. And he, not only are we supposed to wait on each other and, and do it in a good order, but he said, do this in remembrance of me. Right? We're supposed to be thinking about him, not just keeping you know, orderly manner of service or something. But back to Darla's question. What, the way we take it today, say at Stuart Heights Baptist Church, where you know, everybody has a, a little wafer, a little cup of juice, uh, we do it kind of in a ceremony. Is it possible to take it in an unworthy manner? I, I mean, my opinion, and I want to hear from some other people, I, I don't think it's nearly as likely, right? Because we're not, we're not going to be doing the things they were doing that shows up the differences between the wealthy and the poor or, or whatever. Uh, we're all going to take it together. not even told that if you're an actual believer you can do this. I would say um, I had a friend that was visiting for a while and prayed for her uh, twice the day that she visited was on a communion Sunday and one time following that she said she was just, she was just very honest. She was like, I didn't eat the cracker but I drank the juice because you know, I wanted I wanted you know, it tastes good. Mm -hmm. In my mind, that is not taking it with a reverence for the body of Christ. Yeah. And that is drinking it unworthily because you're not doing it with a, a respectful heart. Of, it is, you know, into the face of God. Well, I understand what they're saying. I've been told what the meaning of this is. And I'm going to take it in a manner other than what it's intended for. And I would think that that would be unworthily. I think as a follower of Christ it would be hard to do it unworthily the way we have kind of watered the ceremony down. But for an unbeliever their heart I think does come into play mm -hmm. with why they're going to do it. Um, you could also apply that to um, uh, celebration of Easter or observance of Christmas. Lots of people that are not believers truly reduce celebrate Christmas in a, in a way that is respectful to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. um, even though they may not have personal faith in him. Right. And then some like I was my brother 
celebrates Easter in, in an almost antagonistically anti-Christ way. Like, but that's not really a celebration of Easter. So in that in that sense, he is he's bringing condemnation on himself every time he does that in my mind because he's doing it with a heart that's antagonistic towards Christ. He's taking something, you know, to celebrate what he did and he's minimalizing it and trivializing it. And I, so I don't think accidentally somebody could do that, a believer or non-believer, but I, I do believe that people can have evil in their heart and, and intentionally do that. I think it boils down, it's a hard issue, period. It boils down to your why. Why are you doing the Lord's Supper? Are you looking around and going, oh, I'm going to do this because everybody else has done it. I want everybody to see me not doing it and ask questions. Are you blatantly living in sin and unrepentant sin and then doing that and spitting in the face of Jesus? Okay. I mean, yeah, that... Things, things to think about. I mean, here's the other question. Can, this will just be playing, I guess, advocate here, can can a believer live in unrepentant sin? Well, you know, the, the New Testament, several places, talks about this, right? Um, you talked about your friend. If your friend is not a believer, which is what it, it sounded like you were saying, um, the warnings that we see through the New Testament are for believers. Like, if believers are living in unrepentant sin, Eventually, you know, like Paul talked about giving, instructing people to give them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that their soul would be saved, right? Uh, it, it was for believers and for their good that these uh, judgments would come, this, you know, correction, if you will. You know, I, I don't know, like, I don't feel nervous for your friend that came and took the juice. And I don't know, see, like, I'm, I'm not up here with with all the answers from God about, you know, this is the line, this is, this is what's going to get punishment, this isn't, okay? It's, it's all, we're talking about it and thinking about it, but, but what we know, what we know is what he told us in this chapter, the, what the warning was associated with was divisions. It was making division among the body of Christ. The body is believers, right? And this is what the warning is about. If you're doing it in a way that causes division, then you're, you're doing what he said here, don't do, and I'm giving you the warning about. We are doing it in division because as a family, I had two boys and one didn't know Christ as soon as the other one did and he was older. And so three of us are taking a communion and he's not because we've trained him and taught, taught him growing up, you do not take a communion until you are a Christian. So he's feeling like an outcast in the middle of all of the church family. And he's like, I'm so embarrassed. I don't want to come on, on communion Sundays. Yeah. So we are doing that in a division to others. But that is what we've always been taught. Yeah. If we are a body of Christ and we are a believer, then we do accept his body. In hmm, that's interesting. I was thinking about that too. But where, was, do you, where do you say is a division and undivision? Well, when see, was, oh, go ahead. Well, when I was growing up, like, I remember my two older brothers getting saved, and when they got saved, they got to take the cup. And I remember being the youngest brother who hadn't been baptized yet. And I remember that first, like that first Lord's Supper Sunday after I'd been baptized, and I felt like I get to do it. <laughs> I, go. Like, I mean, 
was I was I approaching it with reverence? I mean, I'm like, no, we hard, can hardly expect a seven-year-old to really understand it. Mm -hmm. But then when you were saying you take it unworthily, I was like, I don't think I probably took it worthily that day. Like, I was probably just thinking, had a pride sense of, look at me, I'm part of the crowd, I'm part of everybody. Um, but okay, but see, I, I feel like I feel like um, we got a couple different topics. But no, 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 no. It's good. I just didn't want to skip one of them. But I was. Um, I feel like there's still. I, I'm hearing things. That we talk about the manner, you know, it being un, taking it unworthily. But it's still like the focus is on whether I was worthy, like whether my heart was right. The the text, which is all I can go on, is talking about. It making a display of divisions. Right. It pointing out they're not as well to do as we are. I, I hate it for them, but I'm going to enjoy my meal. Okay? That's what the text is talking about. So I still don't... I, I feel, this is my opinion, um, search the scripture, pray about it, you know, search it out yourself. I feel like we make a lot of it's still like your worthiness, right? Did you take it in a worthy manner? Did you, were you pointing out like some people uh, had a lot, some people didn't? Some people, you know, like you're better than other people when you were taking it when you were, your first time you took it? No, I doubt it. I doubt you were even old enough to be capable of such a thing. So I don't think that what you, how you took it fits into what he's warning about here. Does that make sense? It does. Is there a difference though between like the way we do it now? I mean, it's not a meal. Yeah, there a, is a difference. It's not a social caste system that, based on what you're sitting there, in the, and I find it interesting that you're reading from King, New King James. Uh, King James. King James. So yours says heresies. Um, right? Yeah. NIV says, is it verse 19 where it says that? No doubt there have to be heresies among them. Is that what it says about Yeah. So NIV, I find it interesting. NIV says differences. Yeah. Mine says factions. Fact, NASB says factions. Okay, so, th that's, so it's, it's, topic, yeah, like, like, the, scripture, the so that's more on topic with divisions. Are we talking about heresies against Scripture, against the church? Are we talking about differences or factions or divisions of groups? Like, it's weird that you have three different words and three different translations that have three different meanings. Uh, I mean, factions and divisions, uh, it, that, it certainly fits the topic from, right. from chapter 1 that we read in 1 Corinthians through the end. Yeah. Um, heresies, I don't know that it's so different because Scripture, you know, Jesus told us how to, how to take the Lord's Supper. Right. And, you know, so... Um, but isn't it interesting that when we do take the Lord's Supper here, that we have these two passages, and it depends on who... We have these two passages that we can use as we take it. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, Paul says, I, I delivered that which I received. So, I mean, right. this so is obviously scripture, too. But. Because we're taking, we're lifting this about context. This is in context of the divisions yeah. that were going on. That's right. And, and we're adding the things to it that weren't added when Jesus gave his instructions. Yeah. There were, there were social constructs that, you know, if you put it in context, Paul's. Who's Paul writing to? Christians 
in a pagan world, but mm -hmm. you got to remember there's Jewish people here and there's other cultures, and it's against the norm to do that. And uh, you know, whereas in the uh, upper room, they were all Jewish. yeah. So we're we're really out of time. I just want to go back to I I didn't hit on what you said. This idea, I I didn't come with it all thought out. You know, when you when you've learned one thing all your life and you hear something different and it makes sense, you still don't just accept it, right? Or you'd just be blown about by every wind of doctrine. You want to t stop and consider and think about it, right? So that that was a new thought to me. What David Guzik said about is it okay for unbelievers to take it? Because until I heard that, I would have never considered such a thing, right? So I'm not saying that's the way it ought to be, but I'm also saying I never thought about that. I think I'm going to start thinking about that. They, they could. It's not going to mean anything. Yeah, I'm. You know, my mind says hold off on on accepting that till I can prove it. You know what I mean? Because you don't want to change instantly. But I don't think, I don't know that that um, saying you should wait until you're a believer, if that's how your church practices it, is showing the kind of the vision that Paul was warning about here. That's my opinion and how I read it. I grew up in Church of Christ. And I can remember going around and like going and we're at the end of the service where they had, this is really embarrassing to say this. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Where they had the train, I go back there and with my friends, like, we eat all the rest of the crackers and drink all the rest of the juice. Yeah. I mean, it meant nothing to me. Yeah. No, nothing. They did the same thing at my conservative. I mean, it really meant nothing to me as a kid. Yeah, right. that you got to drink it or pour it out. Well, I mean, what's more respectful, to drink it or pour it down the drain? I mean, you, you, you can make too much of it, you know. It's not the element isn't anything. It's the, it's the remembrance of when you're doing it. Judas, yes, that was something else Guzik pointed out. Jesus did not prevent Judas from taking it. He didn't say, I'm sorry, it's for the other 11, you, you can't take it. Yes. Well, y'all been a great class. I mean, help me, you know, I, I could have been over in five minutes without all this interaction, so I appreciate the help. But you, I mean, we, right? We, we don't, we don't usually come for whatever reasons. We have stuff, but on Wednesday night, our church gets together every week, right, to eat. That's that's like what they were doing in Corinth. This is what was going on, but they were also making it the Lord's Supper, except the way they did it, it wasn't. Okay, I'm keeping you late. Uh, we won't pray. Thank you. See you next week. <laughs>